Chama people, and welcome to our 229th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your hosts, Dijanek, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and wonderful friend, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hello, Mr. Bliss. How's life treating you today? Hello, Mr. Nick. Uh, all things being considered, it's not too bad. Um, what are we on Tuesday? I don't know. I think we're in July. I'm my days tend to run together. So all things being considered, can't complain too much. Mm. Oh, well, very happy to hear that. And yes, I know that tends to happen to me sometimes because I guess I schedule my life around you know events that mean something to me. Granted, first world problems, of course. It's like, so when's the next game? Ah, okay, and we're on, ah, whatever. Okay, so now I know what the board schedule and know what happens is happening in my day according to when the next sports game is. So that's that's me the, me currently, because this has been a very exciting period when it comes to the, to the sports ball planet. But of course, we are, to go back onto the superhero planet, folks, today we are discussing Superman, Batman, Public Enemies. This was from 2009 and was directed by Sam Liu. This, this was written by Stan Berkowitz, while the score was by Christopher Drake. So getting to general impressions here, Keith, what did you make of this movie? I'm very torn about this one, and it's for a very weird reason. I appreciated most of the story. What I kind of found a little jarring was the animation style. Everybody was very blocky, chunky, stumpy-looking guys, and they're all superheroes, so they all looked very similar. Batman, Superman... The um, Captain Adam, all of them, you could literally just like pop their heads off and put them on each other's bodies, and there was literally no distinguishing characteristics other than costumes. Hell, even Captain Marvel, when he was in it, was a little bit different, and they they kind of make a little joke about it if you don't realize it at the end. But I, I think the animation kind of took me away from it a little bit. I, I get it; they were trying to uh, emulate the comic book. A, a lot more than some of our other movies that we've watched. I just think it fell a little flat, especially with like Power Girl being just like overly bustuous and it was just very awkward because you see her on screen, you're just like, I, I don't want to look. It's just, there's just so awkwardness. Uh, and it's kind of funny. They, at the end with the toy maker and him in his x-ray goggles, she punched him in the face, which I thought was very funny because again, kids, x-ray goggles. They see through everything, including skin. But hey, whatever, minor details. Um, I did like the story. It, I would say it felt a little fast-paced to me. There could have been a little bit more development. It was very much glossed over in the first couple minutes of the movie in terms of how we got to this point. There was not a lot of development. It was very much okay, we're going to introduce the bad guy, this plot point happens, and then we're just going to go a million miles a second. You know, We're Superman, so we're going to go faster than the speed of sound. What I found a little weird in the story was the fact that, not that Luther becomes president of the United States and that he does recruit certain characters or other heroes to work for him. It's just, there's no Wonder Woman, there's no Flash, there's no Aquaman, there's no Cyborg. 99% of the Justice League is just somewhere else doing things or not doing things or just they're not going to talk about this at all. It's This all transpires in the span of, I don't know, a day or so. And you're telling me the fastest man alive couldn't have run over and helped out Superman and been gone again before anybody realized it. Same thing with Wonder Woman, Cyborg, all these other characters that could have potentially helped Superman and Batman with their uh, quote-unquote vigilanteism, um, you have no idea where they are. They, they make no reference to them. There's a, a quick blurb where Lex is like, I'm, I'm outlawing all superheroes, and anybody who doesn't join this registration can't be a superhero anymore. It's like, okay, cool. And that's it. Everybody's fine with that. And you have uh, five heroes that helps them out, and then everybody else is just, I don't know, having coffee in the Justice Tower. I, who knows? So I, I found that a little weird. It's just they up and all disappear. Meanwhile, all the supervillains are still being supervillains. So I don't know who's supposed to save them or not save them, save the people from 
all this crime and ridiculousness. So I, I think a little bit more of the DC universe could have been flushed out. I get it. They had to speed through a lot of these plot points to get to the fact that a giant kryptonite meteor was about to blow up the Earth. And Lex Luthor, the smartest uh, meth head in the planet, is coming up with a plan to solve everything. Uh, I didn't appreciate them glossing over his drug addiction. It was just very much like, oh yeah, I'm going to shoot up with liquid kryptonite and some other vitamins. Quote-unquote vitamins. And we're all going to be like, okay, fine. Waller, who Amanda Waller, who is normally you know, the evil person in the room, is like, you know, this might be a little too evil even for me. The fact that she's the voice of reason means you've really gone off the reservation with the character. Because she is normally the one doing the evil bad shit, and then everybody else has to reel her in. So the fact that she's reeling somebody in, that that's you've ratcheted up to 11. Um, and again, they don't explain other than, I needed this pick-me-up while I was campaigning. Like, okay, so you picked up speed and meth and other enhancement stuff and liquid kryptonite because reasons so i don't know there was that being said it was still a fun watch i did enjoy superman and batman beating the crap out of everybody the fact that they throw down with captain adam hawkman um let's see captain marvel power girl ah so and basically characters. every single DC villain known to man, with a few exceptions. Right. And then they, they, all the DC villains just creep up out of nowhere, and they beat them in like 30 seconds. I'm like, what just happened? Superman just beats everybody's brains in in like a half a second and then flies off. And you're like, okay. So, again, with all the shortcomings, did I enjoy it? Hell yes. Have I watched this more than once? Yes, I have. You know, Do I recommend it to everybody? If you're a big fan of those characters, Yes. But, you know, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. And we'll obviously touch on that when we discuss the, the movie further. Fantastic insights as always. And yes, it seems like you and I tend to agree quite a bit when it comes to maybe the shortcomings of this film. But, that, but before I get to my general impressions, when you were mentioning Power Girl's assets, let's say, or her very generous chest, Apparently mm -hmm. it comes it comes all the way from obviously comicdom because obviously when she was first uh, drawn and created by Wally Wood way back mm -hmm. when apparently that there was a there was a great anecdote that Jimmy Palmiotti shared he was one of the writers of went you know for for DC and in particular for, for Power Girl and he literally said that when Wally was drawing Power Girl he was convinced that the editors were not paying attention to anything he did so apparently his inker said every issue. I'm going to draw the breasts bigger until they notice it. And apparently it took about seven or eight issues in the comics before anyone was like, hey, what's with the boobs? And that's where the size stopped. And that's why Power Girl has such big breasts, because that's basically where it stopped, where people were starting to notice what Wally Wood was doing with his artwork for Power Girl. And right, of course, other times where women were more sexualized and, su and such. But that's if you ever if you're wondering, folks, when it comes to the origins of Power Girl and being so well endowed and, you know, as I said, her breasts being rather revealed. That's that's where that's why it's it all comes goes back to her creator, one of her first me men who drew her, Wally Wood. And then people not taking notice of him. That said, when, I, when it came to this film, I'm in two minds about this one. As in, on one side, I thought it was really cool that you got to have, you know, two of the flagship heroes of DC. And we have seen them, you know, either teaming up or being at odds. And so it's always, always great to see that. I found the story to be a little bit threadbare. As in... The, the premise was interesting, as in, you know, Lex Luthor becoming president and uh, Batman and Superman being pariahs and, and the possible concept of this uh, kryptonite meteorite uh, hurtling towards Earth and Lex not wanting to stop it because he wants to create a new society, if you will, which is insanity. But there were moments where I'm like, that wouldn't really happen. Or rather, even in the world of comics, which can be seen as incredibly absurd and silly, you're like, okay, these two characters, granted Superman is incredibly powerful, but you have Superman and Batman taking on, as you were mentioning, a, a large portion of other DC heroes, which, you know, in other situations, 
they might have some trouble with. I mean, we saw Superman literally struggling, understandably, with Metallo, but then when half the DC rogues gallery shows up, they get rid of him, no problem. And then you're even fighting, like you mentioned, Captain Marvel or Shazam, take your pick, and the Hawk Command stuff. They dispose of them pretty quickly. And I was like, yeah, this was a little bit rushed. You came kind of maybe should have thought of something different when it came to that. But other than that, what I will say this, uh, this movie shines for, once again, which is the thing that DC does so, so well, is the choice of the voice cast. They always have very, very strong, and very talented voice casters, aside from from a, a certain person that we will be talking about later when we talk about her, who is these days, uh, we don't really like to talk to, talk about her in real life, but she definitely is, was a very good voice actress. And I'm, of course, uh, referring to Alison Mack. Uh, that said, um, the, 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 the voice time is insane. And, you know, I, I, I love Clancy Brown. We've, we've talked about Clancy on this show before. So it was wonderful they picked him and, of course, Kevin Conroy and Tim Daly and, and everybody else. So that, I think, was the strongest part of this film the voices really bring the characters to life but at the same time i do agree they make up for the artwork because like you said it seemed like we were seeing barbie and ken dolls like, literally they're all the same except they're in a different costume it's like superman ken and batman ken and uh you know and uh, uh super um, and power girl barbie it just seemed like yeah they could be very much interchangeable with their physiques it didn't seem like it seemed like they didn't really do much to make them distinct when it came to their body, if you will. They all had this very generic, super buff body, aside, I think, might possibly from, from Lex, which looked the most realistic of them all, even when he was roided out. But other than that, yeah, everyone was very square. It was very, the, the, the lines weren't really there, aside, of course, from, from Power Girl, of course. But other than that, it just seemed like, yeah, they didn't really try with it. Obviously, the artwork was a little bit subpar, but the voice acting definitely made up for it. Other than that, I, uh, I enjoyed it for what it was. So let's kick off our, our show here by looking at our characters on the board, starting with our titular ones. We have, of course, Tim Daly as Superman and Kevin Conroy as Batman. So what do you make of what Superman and Batman got to do in this film, Keith, and, uh, and yeah, their, and their portrayal and such? I think these two are the perfect Superman-Batman dynamic duo, no pun intended. Uh, I, I do, I've always said, you know, Conroy is my favorite Batman actor, just like Mark Hamill is my favorite Joker. And I will fight anybody over that one just because of the fact that when people say, like, who's your best XYZ? Well, you have to take the animated characters into account. And those two, they've done so much with each other. They have that natural chemistry. They have that friendship that actually bonds. So when you hear them on screen together, that sounds like two buddies doing stuff together and they've clearly have done you know many things together they've been in different shows and movies and so on and so forth that it makes perfect sense and to hear that when he superman cracks a joke with batman about i wouldn't miss this for the world that reminds me of two good friends doing something they enjoy and while the writing is okay at best the fact that these two carried it so well for the entire duration sells me sells it every time. That is why I look forward to these two together in anything because they are the perfect duo. No pun intended. Again, so I, I think they did a, a great job with the casting, the voicing. They fit the characters. While again, they're that chunky Roblox-looking superheroes, they still work the parts and they kind of bring some of those little mannerisms in along the way. So I, I can't knock them too much. Again, like you said, the story is very um, thin at times. It it seems like a lot of people played the jump to conclusion games or let's not apply logic type of um, writing to this stuff. But again, they took, I believe it was the first five or six issues of Batman versus Superman comic book and smushed it into this little movie. So they cut out a lot of the character development and plot development that like you said you know logically would have should not have worked like with the justice league they have a tower in space or they have the their headquarters on earth they should have seen this giant kryptonite rock hurling toward earth or the green lanterns or literally anybody should have been able to stop this not have to rely on captain crackhead 
Very well put indeed. Yes. I mean, because I, I, from what I gathered, you know, we get we see that um, Batman and Superman in the Batcave, because obviously Batman has all the all the technology in the world. They see that they, they know, obviously, that the um, about this this asteroid, this kryptonite, kryptonite meteorite, I suppose it is more than an asteroid is, is hurtling towards Earth. And Superman at first is like, I'll stop it. You know, I'll, I'll even wear like a lead suit or something and uh, and I'll stop it myself. And obviously Batman comes down with the logic saying, even for you, that's too much radiation. You wouldn't survive, and uh, and so I, I did like how we got you know these two rather different characters in their approach to the the the, the shared goal they have because both of them are are crime fighters. Both of them want to stop evil and make the world a better place. But at the same time, I think what is well highlighted in this film is how is how different their approach is, and also I think the way that they they live their lives, if you will, because. Bat, you know, when Superman talks to Batman about uh, being late because he was he was seeing Lois and Batman was like, I don't really get that because, you know, I don't really have, you know, a woman in my life. And we know that Batman is, you know, he's had multiple women, but he doesn't really commit to a relationship. So he doesn't, I guess, know what commitment is or rather it's his choice not to commit because he's Batman and he's always afraid of, I guess, Either will will my my better half appreciate you know um, understand what I do? Do I ever tell her? And you know that this was also I think to a certain extent addressed in um, you know in a couple of Batman movies when it came to this, especially Mask of the Phantasm. But and if not, it was like I don't want to put other people in danger with what I do. Whereas Superman is like able to balance being a superhero and be, and having a human life if you will with with everything that comes with that so having a girlfriend and friends and everything else whereas batman is not really the social type when he's himself obviously as bruce wayne he has to put on that that mask of the billionaire playboy hanging out with you know with highfalutin society so i liked that contrast that was that we got here of how they they approach things and also i guess as the movie progressed, we did get some character developments, at least when it came to their relationship, in the sense that by the end of this movie, the two of them have been through so much in just one adventure that um, Batman seems to appreciate and understand more the the, 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 the the simple things in life that Superman enjoys, like having a girlfriend, because we briefly, briefly get to see Lois Lane, who I believe does not have a speaking role in this. She's there in her little helicopter, I suppose, covering the story for the, for the Daily Planet. And Batman kind of looks at Superman in that moment. He's like, I get this. You know, uh, good for you that you have this. I don't have that, but, you know, more power to you for that. And also the fact that I think they complement each other because Superman is very much, I would just want to rush in and do what I can to save the world. Batman is more calculating than that. And he, you know, he, he tells him, this is why this, this, and this would fail, or this is why we should maybe be more stealthy. And I love the fact that Batman won't let Superman carry him. When they have to like break in to to uh, to ask to get all the the details on the asteroid and and what have you, Batman's like, no, I'm going through the window. I'm not going to have you carry me. It's always like I have a dignity. I don't want Superman to be holding me in his arms. So I thought that was kind of fun and so well done by by Kevin Conroy when it came to to that particular scene. But throughout the the movie, it was great. And I also love the fact that we briefly got Alfred kind of interacting with Superman a little bit. You know when he's injured he could have died from that from that kryptonite bullet but you know whatever and yeah, uh, he should that, have technically yeah, yeah and he kept it in his chest for quite some time and i appreciate the fact that even though superman is way more powerful than batman you know from a physical standpoint they got to defend each other because obviously with metallo superman kind of almost is brought down to batman's level so it is literally street fighting and kind of just trying to survive so i and i appreciated that that moment that it's not Batman watching Superman as he soars through the air and does stuff. They very much act as a team. So I, I really like that. And I thought that you didn't feel the difference too much between, uh, you know, the the, the different um, power assets that the two have. So so I thought, I thought it was cool. Other than them single-handedly beating half of the DC villains and, uh, and heroes in one fell swoop, it was good. I'm just like, you, you really have to do that because some of these villains could be a protagonist in a Superman or Batman movie, and you're making them look like like thugs, like the the, the base thugs that that Batman or Superman would encounter in another adventure, like the guy stealing the car at the beginning of the movie. So, eh, what are you going to do? I suppose they had to do that, and uh, and of course the whole Lex Luthor thing was was solved a little bit quickly by the end of this. But we'll talk of course more about Lex when we get to him. But other than that, I thought I was I was pleased with what I saw. Uh, did you have anything else to add on these two characters, Keith? 
Now, it's funny that you made that reference about the whole Superman carrying Batman. They do make a reference to that with Damian Waynes and Superboy. He says the same, a very similar comment. He's like, I don't want to do this. And when he does, he sits there and pouts, just like his dad does when he Superman has to carry him as well. So it's funny, the father-son, the, the parallels, even though you don't see them at the same time, they happen at the same time with the same two characters. Yeah, I guess there's just that... that- in a, that, that pride, I suppose, about I can do this myself. I don't need, you know, uh, fancy pants here to, to to carry me around the place. You can just hop through the window. I can get, you know, do that. No problem. So fair enough. So I guess then moving on, let's get to some of our heroes who are working for the establishment, represented by U.S. President Lex Luthor. We have, of course, Xander Berkeley as Captain Atom. Alison Mack, who, as I mentioned, we don't really like to talk about her these days as Power Girl, and Ricardo Antonio Chavira as Major Force. So what do you make of this trio, Keith? Um, I- I'm. Th- this is where it gets like that weird murkiness. Uh, I- I'm very much on the fence with the three of them. Power Girl tends to like buckle so fast. She's like, okay, I'm with you guys now. If that was the case, why did you join Lex to begin with? I feel like she was the the quickest to be like, yeah, I'm good. I'm gonna go over here and hang out with the cool kids. I I would say that was she was the one character I liked the least, and it's not because of who plays her, or, you know, who voices her. It was just how they like wasted a complete background or any type of anything. She just seemed like a just a random character. They could have literally put anybody in there, and it would have had the same end result. Even when she goes off screen to get help from somebody could have been anybody it literally could have been you know pick your random character that has superpowers. that's how little of an impact she played in the story in terms of captain adam a perfect voice cast again the, the cast of this cartoon does wonders for the story um, Captain Adam is very much a, a patriot. He would follow anybody who is in charge and does not question authority. He is very much a, I'm a government man. I work for the government. I'm a military guy and I do what I am told. And even if it, I question it, I still do it without, you know, he's very much the Steve Rogers of the DC universe. Granted, Steve Rogers does question authority from time to time. Adam is just like, nope, I'm going to blind you follow. And that's what he does. He just blindly follows whoever's in charge. So similar with uh, Major Force, except Major Force is generally known as a bad guy. So to see him as a quote-unquote good guy during this time, you know he's going to turn heel at some point. It's just, again, if you know the character from DC lore, he's not a good guy, or generally he's not a good guy. He does every so often do a redeeming thing. But by and large, he's a bad dude. And he proves that by blowing up Metallo, which seemed like a really big waste for a character. They could have used one of the random androids and it would have had the same um, end result. The fact that they murdered Metallo relatively easily kind of takes away from that character. Like you said, all these Rogue Galleries characters are ridiculously overpowered. Metallo gives Superman a run for his money most of the time. And that's even before you introduce Kryptonite. The two of them can trade blows with the best of them. The fact that, um, and spoilers, Major Force comes in and murders him in a couple seconds. It's like, well, that was very... And they do it off scene too. It's just like, Flash, dead. And then on the news, character is found dead. And nobody questions this. Nobody whatsoever. There's like, yeah, Superman who's never killed literally anybody ever murdered somebody. And everyone's like, okay, must be true. Nobody questions. The guy who literally won't kill anybody even to save, other than say Doomsday, um, to save somebody, he, the entire world just goes, okay, we believe Lex Luthor. Meanwhile, the guy has literally been a career criminal forever. So it, that's, I would say, the one lazy writing portion of it. Um, you know, Was it awesome to see them beat the crap out of each other? Yes. Was it kind of underwhelming when Power Girl punched a hole in Major Force? Yes. I was like, what the crap? How is it Superman's been pounding on him for 20 minutes and not none of this happens? Supergirl flies off and 
punctures his spacesuit and then he blows up, which I will say was a really cool scene where Captain Adam absorbs all that radiation. That was pretty cool. I was like, all right. If our listeners are not aware of Captain Adam and Major Force are two ridiculously OP characters. They have gone toe-to-toe with Superman on numerous occasions and have been shown to take quite a wallop. Their major weakness, no pun intended, is their containment suits. Once they rupture, it's pretty much an atomic blast and you have to all head for the hills and they'll leave a giant crater. So it's kind of like the, the, the strength and weakness, their spacesuits and their powers that they derive from. So, but again, I, I like the character. I really wish we got a Captain Adam movie, cartoon, something, but I digress. Well, maybe with the gun versus James Gunn seems to like to dig deep. We might finally get to see some of these characters come to live action without having to always see the same ones over and over again, because there's such a rich lore and so many characters that you can bring to the screen, just kind of, kind of like, I guess, the MCU has done when it comes to, to, to characters you never thought would ever get a, a live action portrayal. So hopefully with now with the, with Mr. Gunn at the, at the helm, we might see more diverse and different stories and more diverse and different characters. So I guess, you know, picking up on what you mentioned about the fact that nobody questions anything, I wonder whether it was Stan Berkowitz's intention when he wrote this of showing how the the sheep mentality of people, as in if um, government says it's this is this is what happens, it's got to be true. And so the fact that maybe people some people don't question what the head of state is saying and don't try and dig deeper, knowing that you know, when when you're like tagging a murder on somebody who has a pretty clean sheet when it comes has never done anything wrong, then then you can maybe question the fact of the sheep mentality of people who literally just listen to their governments. Like, oh yeah, if President Luthor said so, it has to be true, like you mentioned. So I think that might be what uh, what uh, Stan Berkowitz is trying to do with writing the story. Granted, one has to kind of I guess grasp at straws, maybe interpret that a little bit and say, okay, maybe that's what it's doing. It wasn't really ex- explained too much, but that's the way I I think is 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 uh, is what uh, what they were trying to do, at least when it came to that. When it came to to these three characters, yes, I would agree. Power Girl does seem to flip flop a little bit easily. I do wonder whether, because you know, folks might not know this who don't read the comics, and it's not really explained here. She is a Kryptonian herself. I believe she is a version of Supergirl. I From don't. Another universe, I, yes. There you go. Thank you. Because I was trying to remember why, well, you know, why that she's considered a Supergirl version. Because, like you said, she's a she's a Kryptonian from another universe. So maybe. She comes with those kind of um, questions, if you will, like like uh, Superman, who obviously being Kryptonian, and you said questions everything. It might seem, as I said, yes, she flip-flops because first she's like, okay, Luther's doing some great things. Maybe we should follow him. And then, like you said, when Superman gives a bit of a talking to, she's like, yeah, maybe Luther's not such a great guy after all because he kind of- He gives gives me the willies. Yeah, (laughs) that's right. I love that. I I love that, 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 that phrase. But uh, and so I think that's maybe what it was. Is maybe Powell goes just following along. He's like, you know, he's the U.S. president. Let's give him a chance and and what have you. But but yeah, it, it does seem it seem like she goes over to the the Batman Superman side a little bit quickly. But I guess that also then allows her to do what she has to do narratively, i.e., literally killing Major Force with that punch. It is strange that you know Superman had been beaten on him a little bit. And nothing really happened. Maybe he was pulling back his punches because he knew that if he did too, he added too much strength, he could literally create an atomic bomb by 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 punching through Major Force's suit. As I said, these are just speculations, folks. I I don't know Mr. Stan Berkowitz. I didn't get the chance to talk to him, so I'm just speculating here. But that's maybe what it was when it came to Captain Atom. Uh, you very astutely pointed out that I, that's exactly the way I felt about him. If this had been like the first time you ever see Captain Atom, that's exactly what you get. He is a government person. He is very much whoever's in the White House, he will follow blindly and not question it. It almost reminds me, you know, you mentioned uh, Captain America. When it comes to a Marvel comparison, he reminded me a little bit of the Dora Milaje, as in no matter who is king or queen of Wakanda, the Dora will follow them and won't question it, even though they're a horrible person. Kind of like what we saw with the first Black Panther movie, where the Dora, like, 
Killmonger is a horrible guy, but he's the king. So we kind of, you know, the, the Dora exists to follow and, and obey the king of Wakanda or queen of Wakanda these days. So maybe it was that kind of situation where it's like, you know, he, that, that that's who's boss. Be they a good person or a bad person. I've got to, I've got to follow what they do. Yet he does get his redeeming moment when he almost sacrifices himself to contain the atomic blast, the radiation from major force. And from what we learn, he's still alive, but the guy's in a coma now. So you're like kind of hoping he comes out of it. But yeah, he almost literally sacrificed himself. So he did get that redeeming moment of, yes, he might be a government person, but at the same time, he tries to do something good. So I appreciated that. And uh, and yeah, major force is just, you know, horrible person from start to finish. I kind of was, I kind of did appreciate the fact that we see this person in the shadows that murders Metallo because like because we see Metallo turning his head going, oh, it's you. So we can only sort of ascertain it's somebody he knows, but we don't know who it could be. And then, yeah, of course, it's revealed that the major force killed him. But that, I guess, is also once again to start the whole, let's put a target on Batman and Superman's backs so people hate him. And plus we'll throw out a um, a, a reward in, in a monetary reward to, to whoever brings them in dead or alive. And that's of course where we get everybody coming out of the woodworks. So yeah, I was, I was happy with these. Um, there, there were some, some, some moments where I was like, yeah, maybe like you, maybe power girl flip flopped a little bit and maybe we could have done a little bit with that. But by and large, I think these were, these were good characters. They, they were well done. So I guess then let's round off our characters by looking at our villain we have the Kurgan himself, Clancy Brown, as Lex Luthor. So what did you make of Lex, Keith? Uh, I'm torn. Again, I've been torn with like this. Uh, everyone's going to catch this repeating theme. I'm, I'm very torn with this everything because Clancy is Lex. He's always going to be Lex. I don't care. He's Lex in literally everything. Um, he is the, the perfect voice actor for that character he comes off with just enough bravado to be like okay he's you know the smartest guy in the room and then when he's by himself he will stab you in the eye with a pencil and you're just like yep i see that that's not no question there's no like will he won't he kind of situation i think he's always been the perfect actor i hope he does the voice forever that being said <laughs> the fact that his opening speech he goes on this tyrant about aliens, hating aliens, and yada, yada, yada. Aliens are bad, and superheroes suck, and yada, yada. What does he do? He has three aliens work for him. Stargirl, Power Girl, and... I just blinked the other one. Oh my gosh. Hawkman, technically. So he has all these aliens working for him, but he hates aliens. So you're immediately a hypocrite. Sort of like a former president of the United States. Um, then he goes on and bans superheroes, but again, has this little band of merry men and women work for him. So again, hypocrite number two, the, the fact that he, nobody has any problems with, um, you know, the quick events that happen, you know, him trying to talk to Superman, Metallo attacking Superman and, and Metallo magically being dead. Everyone's like, again, okay, fine. Um, when you see him on screen, he's very, char or, sorry, in front of the camera talking to the citizens of the world, he's very charismatic and very, has himself put together. But when he's off in his war room, he's sitting there shooting up liquid kryptonite and other steroidal drugs and crap, literally steroids, he says this. So he's shooting up all kinds of crazy drugs and whatnot, driving himself insane. And we're like, all right, that's cool. We're fine. We're not going to like broach this subject. We're just going to really gloss over it high, high level. And you can kind of see the, the cracks in his armor as time progresses because he starts to get more addicted to this kryptonite cocktail that, again, makes him 12 feet tall and jacked as a superhero. Eventually, it does come to bite him in the butt when his calculations are flawed and he can't blow up this giant kryptonite um, meteor flying toward the Earth, which I don't understand with all the infinite technology that this individual has at his access. He's like, I'm going to use missiles. That is the most 
90s thing ever. And I feel like I've seen that in so many movies, cheesy movies, that they came up with, like, what are we going to do? We're going to shoot missiles at it. Well, Looking at you, you have... Armageddon. I mean, I wasn't going to call him out specifically Armageddon, but yes, 100% Armageddon. We're going to use nukes to blow up. A... But we have to send guys there and drill holes and shit. You know, the fact that the Justice League or other heroes or anybody didn't step in, you would have kind of find it weird. You know, you have or not. There are a handful of lanterns on Earth or for this sector. None of them are there to deflect this giant meteorite. The Guardians were lacking, but, you know, at the same time, they did let Krypton blow up. So I'm not surprised they dropped that ball. Uh, but I'm pretty sure Superman or Batman could have called up Mr. Terrific, Cyborg, um, any other big powerhouse character. And they could have worked on a solution. Why not just use a giant boom tube and transport into someplace else? Literally in front and behind the Earth. Doesn't have to be anything super ridiculous. They did manage to somehow have this boom tube to shoot missiles at it, but they couldn't make it big enough to pass right through the Earth. So that's where I feel the lazy writing really kind of started to creep in more so, was the I'm going to blow up with missiles and I'm going to be a crackhead, you know, or just drug addict. And it's going to, I'm going to go crazy at the end. The guy has been pretty level headed the entire time out of all the things that Lex would have done. I don't think he's narcissistic enough to do the whole steroids cocktail of magic injection every 20 seconds in this and then just to bust out his uh, Superman armor at the very end. Like, where, where the hell was that the whole time? You'd think he'd be, you know, using a little more often, or use that to punch a hole in the asteroid. Literally, any number of things. So I, I think, again, one of these needed more development, and this just goes to show how rushed the whole story was. It seemed it was a very quick, brisk movie, but it, I think they could have slowed down and pumped the brakes a little bit more to show Lex's downfall or, you know, sinking into madness a little bit more. It was just, you know, Superman doing stuff, Batman doing stuff, cut to Lex, going a little crazy, cut back to them, cut back to Lex, a little bit crazier. Cut, and you're like, okay. So again, Amanda Waller, the person who generally does all the off the books, black ops, crazy shit was the voice of reason to Lex Luthor. I'm just, again, I'm going to say that. And as everybody knows from watching Suicide Squad or reading the comic books or just knowing her character, the fact that she had to reel him in, that's that's how you know, again, we've, we've hit the, the, the banana switch because everything's just gone crazy. You know, did, did I like the, his, him busting out the power suit? Yes. Did I, I like him beating up Superman for a while? Sure. Did I think Superman going super sane essentially and rage punching Lex Luthor out of his suit seem a little you know easy or simple sure I don't know why he didn't do that 30 seconds sooner when he showed up and waited till Batman went flying into space to literally rip his arm off and beat him with it oh yeah this is true I mean, uh, I, I did appreciate to a certain extent the resolution. I mean, it did seem a little Armageddon-ish, if you will, the fact mm. that it's Batman oh, who, flies, who flies into space to basically destroy the uh, the asteroid while Superman is left on Earth to battle Lex Luthor. So I'm like, okay, I guess that this is how they're going to do it because, of course, Toy Man's uh, thing, you know, they went to Toy Man for the rocket and uh, it seemed to be disabled and so on, but they were able to kind of make it work because we have to wrap this movie up and it has to have a happy ending unless we're doing a two-parter, which of course we're not. And when it came to Lex himself, I, I mean, I, cause I was kind of wondering what his end game was at first because it's then revealed that he wants the, the, the asteroid to hit Earth so that everybody gets infected by radiation, half the population. I, I mean, you have to also have to think what a big of a blast this would be. I mean, would it just be limited to the US? Would, would other countries be involved? And the fact that no other countries are sort of seen in this movie about 
okay, granted, it's it's the, it might be hitting the U.S., so it's just the U.S.'s problem. But you think that they might intervene in some way because if it's that big of an asteroid, it could. It's like dropping an atomic bomb. The the after effects could be felt in other parts of the world as well. So it's not like oh, let's let them deal with it. Maybe scientists from around the world or other governments from the other world, uh, from the from other parts of the world, could intervene and say, you know, we're allies with the U.S. You know, let's let's try and figure this out together because Lex Luthor, granted, he takes on this almost dictatorial uh, version of the the president of the United States, but he's still the president of the United States. He's not the governor of the world. So you'd think maybe other people, other other world powers, would be involved, but they're not even even mentioned from what I gathered. And so he's like, yeah, we'll, we'll shoot up the missiles, but even if they, if they fail, oh, well, people will just be covered in radiation and I will start a whole new country and mold it into my own image, which I'm sure as evil and as nefarious as it may seem, it does seem the product of a very sick mind. And it might have been a byproduct of the fact that Lex was using this kryptonite cocktail. I mean, he says he was using it to kind of gain immunity from the eventual blast of the of the meteorite. But it does seem like a rather insane thing for Lex to do because Lex is Lex is many things, but he's not crazy. He's not insane. He is very calculating. He's a sociopath, but he doesn't. He's he never goes off the deep end. He's he if you arrest him. He goes to a regular prison. You don't send him to Arkham Asylum. And this seems to be a kind of plot hatched from a mind that would be sent to Arkham and not to a regular prison for, you know, for, for the, the same people, if you will, of the, of, the, of the comic book world. So it did seem a little bit crazy, but I, I think I see it as a byproduct of the, the, the drugs that he's taking, not to mention the fact that then he tries to make out with Amanda Waller. So I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, because you're so roided out, probably, and the uh, and and the testosterone is just pumping through your veins. Amanda Waller's there. What are you going to do? You're going to try and make out with her. And understandably, uh, Amanda is disgusted at this. And like you said, if Amanda Waller is the one to reel Lex Luthor in, it's kind of they kind of jumped the shark here, and the situation is really, really insane. Because usually, yeah. Both Amanda and Lex are much more calculating people than this. I mean, from the tons of iterations we've seen, possibly aside from Man of Steel, where they try and make him a bit of a crazier guy, and I didn't really care for that too much, but usually they're very calculating villains. And this was not Lex in this one. You know, I get the thing of, okay, I'll start a new society, and I'll turn the US into a fascist state, which he does to a certain extent. But the rest of it's like, mm, yeah, that's a little bit nuts. And uh, and the fact that he then starts blurting out, you know, crazy things when they take him away, he's like, oh, it's, it's Superman's fault, and, and kind of laughing to himself, like he's lost it completely. And of course, that's that's the um, that's the the kryptonite cocktail talking. But I would never have seen Lex do that. Clancy does a great job of voicing him in all the situations, like. I never expected to see Lex Luthor talking to himself in in a maniacal way anywhere, and it happened here. So, okay, 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 Mr. Berkowitz, if that's how you're going to write him, fair. I just thought, yeah, it was a little bit over the top, and um, could have been done a little bit a little bit better. So, get before we get to ratings, Keith, is there anything else you wanted to add on this movie in general? I, I don't know. I think we we murdered this one pretty well. <laughs> I mean, we and again, fans, we do it, you know, in, in good humor. We do enjoy these movies, and I, I did enjoy this. I know DJ Nick he enjoys it as well, uh, and so you know, don't take everything like we hated this movie. No, we, we tear it apart because we like it. It comes from a place of love, exactly. We're not. Uh, it's tough love. It, that's right, exactly. You know, we don't, we don't, um, you know, hate on these movies just to hate them. And yeah, and yeah, I, of course, I had a good time with this one. I, I, there wasn't really anything else, anything else I really had to add per se. Uh, personally, I was, I'm glad I saw it. I will say that. Um, the other thing with I did have to actually, I actually wanted your your thoughts on Keith was when all the DC Rose Gallery just creep out of the woodwork and we have those million throwdowns, and then it's revealed that Gorilla Grodd is controlling them do you think that's because he's working for lex or do you think he really wants to get his hands on the money so badly that he's manipulating all these villains he has you know gone on these rampages before for money and wealth because he needs it for his guerrilla um 
family, city. not his family city. Thank you, Gorilla City, and to you know finance his other endeavors. I would have actually preferred that you find out that Gorilla Grodd is not actually mind controlling Lex, but kind of like a little voice in his head pushing him toward the more of the the craziness that he was the reason that Lex started this crazy cocktail and or dark side or somebody else that we've seen in other movies they kind of plant that little um seed and it causes the character to go crazy because this just seems so at a left field for lex to go completely so far off the reservation that he's basically thinking he's the second coming of a fallen individual and you're like wow i would never have seen that coming and i think rude was just more of I, i'd say it's 50 50 like can he do it can he take out batman superman and uh, you know, a billion dollars is not a, a, a chump change amount of money. So, you know, I wouldn't probably pass it up either if I were him. Right. Yeah. And I think it would kind of have been have been cool if the ultimate bad of this movie, literally pulling the strings, was Gorilla Grodd, where he was mined, you know, because we know that he's one of the most powerful telepaths in the world, I mean the DC universe anyway. So he's a the fact he's able to manipulate multiple characters at a time. You know, it, it speaks to how powerful he is. And we know, of course, even when it comes to the, the regular appearances he has with the Flash, he tends to be you know, quite a handful for Flash and then some, especially when, when Grodd is done right. So it would have been kind of cool, yes, had this, if this had all been a plan of Grodd's to literally, you know, behind Lex Luthor and everything else happening to get his, his paws on the money, but also to ultimately be the ruler of of the states ultimately once the the uh, the meteorite hits so uh literally become planet of the apes they could have literally done something like that where it's the apes who rule the world at the end of the day but i i was just i was just wondering that would uh, have been an amazing twist actually that he's the reason why lex screws up his math and it does obliterate the earth and it's just gorilla Groot and his you know people roaming and it's this weird planet of the apes yeah, I would have totally and signed up for that one. There you go, and literally turn it into a widespread guerrilla city. The U.S. becomes guerrilla city USA, a hundred percent. So would have been it would have been a, an interesting take because that's what I was kind of wondering when I believe it's Batman who susses it out, saying the speech pattern of these characters sounds very familiar to somebody mm-hmm. else, and it's revealed that there's Grodd, you know, kind of grinning in the background to himself as he's manipulating everybody. So they could have done a little bit more with that. Again, I guess this this will probably reflect on our ratings. So definitely some missed chances when it comes yes. to, to that potential story. But so to I guess touch on that, to touch on that, I do appreciate the fact that they made Batman the smart detective that he normally is, opposed to some of the other stories that we've seen him where it's just he seems like a slightly better than average guy. This one, they actually show him flexing his scientific mu- muscles, his stealth, his fighting, his... They show a more well-rounded, and again, same thing with Superman, don't get me wrong, but this one definitely is more true to form of the Batman. Yeah, exactly. Like, I'm so glad he literally earned the title of the world's greatest detective. If, there's a, if, if everybody calls him that, show us why he's the world's greatest detective. And uh, well pointed out there, Keith. So getting then to ratings, what do you give this film out of 10? Ah... <sighs> I'm actually going to probably go a little higher on this one. I think I'm going to go with an eight and it's mostly due to the cast. The, the art style was not bad. It wasn't poorly drawn. It was just very, everybody was generic cookie cutter. As you said, the Ken and Barbie of superhero artwork, um, the cast sold it. They really, all these characters, even the one that we're not going to mention because she, you know, she's crazy. Um, they all play their parts perfectly Everybody, when I think of these characters in terms of watching them on TV, watching them in cartoons and things of that nature, the people that voice them are 100% of those people that I always think of. You know, I always think Conroy. I always think Clancy. I always think Tim. Those are my characters for each one of those individuals. So I'm very pleasantly surprised. and I enjoyed this cast immensely. So I'm going to go with an eight. Well, some definitely some fair points there for sure. I'm actually going to give this a seven and a half out of 10. I did enjoy <laughs> it for the same reasons that you outlined. So the voice cast was great. 
uh, I just felt the story had a lot of unrealized potential because you put Batman and Superman together, who, as I mentioned before, like amongst your flagship characters of the DC world, you know, they're, they're two thirds of the tr of the Trinity, Wonder Woman being the third part of that triangle. And, you know, you, you can do so much with them and with a story like this. So, you know, had they even gone with, you know, the Grodd angle, they, I probably would have rated it higher. Other than that, um, I, I, I think, uh, you know, we mentioned all the reasons why we, we love this movie and why we enjoyed it. So, yeah, it's a seven and a half out of ten for me when it comes to ratings. So getting then to recommendations, do you have anything you would like to recommend to the class this week? Ooh, the class. There you go. Uh, um. In terms of homework for the class, I would tell them to check out the original run of Batman vs. Superman, which was inspired this movie. It, it's still ongoing, technically. I think they're on like volume four of it. Uh, this was an early 2000s-ish story. It expands. It fills in a lot of the holes. It also shows you the aftermath and what happened after this um, similar artwork. So if you're a fan of this, you'll enjoy it. If you're not a fan of this, I get it. It's a, it's an acquired taste. So definitely the Batman Superman comic books, I think would anybody would love them. Oh, uh, great stuff for sure. I'm going to go very left field with this one uh -oh. because this one, it's not going to be a comic book um, suggestion, but it's actually going to be regarding a certain character that we don't talk about much these days and who was sent to prison. If you want to find out folks, why Alison Mack was sent to prison and what she got into there is a very enlightening two-season uh, documentary called The Vow, which talks about everything that happened when it came to the organization that she, she was a part of, the cult. Let's call it what it was. It was a cult called Nexium. And this documentary actually was nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary, this documentary series. It, um, it, it, and of course, also won Emmys for its directors. So if you want to find out all about the Nexium story and the DOS story, not the computer stuff, of course, but uh, you, the, 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 oper the operating system, check out The Vow from 2020. And I think you'll find it very enlightening and uh, disturbing. I will I will put that out for you if you are easily offended and you, you know, kind of, uh, it could be a trigger maybe avoid it but check it out regardless because i think it is it is worth the time i i thoroughly enjoyed it and yeah it made me understand why Alison mack doesn't deserve nice things so no, i guess <laughs> no she does not but that could be a whole other episode of why Alison mack doesn't deserve nice things so moving on here we actually have some uh, uh feedback this week some happiness and darkness uh fat feedback this week, it, we, it comes to the movie we reviewed last week, which was Robocop, which I know was particularly enjoyed by our listeners. So I'm very happy about that. That feedback is from previous guest on the show, David K. Proctor, who actually writes in, thanks for the nostalgia. I love Robocop. We're very welcome, David. Great movie. Probably a 10 out of 10 back then. And yes, I saw it in a theater. Probably still at least nine giant handguns hidden in a leg out of 10. Okay. As a former police officer, I wish the gear stowed away that well and that the rules were so black and white and the partners so loyal. Don't we all? I did find the idea of co-ed locker rooms to be an interesting idea. That's true. We didn't touch up on that one. The fact that the men and the women share the, the same locker rooms. Like, oh, yeah, we should brought that up. And, uh, and uh, he, he, of course, Dave continues. Oh, well, I missed out on that one. <laughs> I can't believe the working conditions in a hellhole like Detroit. And in the future, it apparently didn't improve. Uh, from what I've heard from uh, folks who live in Detroit, it kind of hasn't. And he, he also continues saying, I will take this opportunity to say how sad I am that the Lions didn't make it to the Super Bowl and the stupid KC Chiefs did. So sad. And that's actually this, uh, as of this recording, this coming Sunday, of course, is Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, David concludes his email with, Robocop 2 is okay. But three sucked so bad, especially when they implemented the Atari 2600 graphics to make him fly. Didn't see the TV show. I apparently it's highly recommended from our, uh, my co-host Keith. So definitely check that out if you can, Dave. But absolutely loved, wait for it, Keith, the 2014 remake. So we might have to have Dave Proctor on to discuss that remake, I think, since I know how you feel about that one. So it could make for an interesting conversation. Thanks. Dave K. Proctor. Well, thank you so much for that email, Dave. And uh, yeah, 
Uh, what what say you, Keith? Do you think we should have Dave on to discuss the remake? I, I'm I'm down for it. I'm not opposed to watching any of these campy RoboCop movies, and you know I, I'm open to his side of the argument. You know, again, he is a former police officer, so he can relate a little bit more than us civilians can to some of the craziness that you know while it's up dialed up to 11 in these movies you can relate a little bit more to some of the working conditions and such so yeah i'm, I'm game if he is fantastic well dave you, you've openly been invited to to review that movie and we will be in contact soon for sure and yeah dave actually uh, had joined me way back when to review the catwoman movie because i was really interested for, to hear his thoughts when it came to the detective side of things and Believe you me, folks, go check out the Catwoman review. It is hilarious. And it was very insightful what, what Dave had to bring to the table. And of course, he's joined us for, for other movies as well. So, of course, dear listeners, if you want to be like Dave and share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email in either audio or written form to happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. You can show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, or you can follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, or at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you are listening to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or even Amazon Music, be sure to give us a rating and review, as this helps the show grow, keeps the algorithm stimulated, and allows us to bring it bring this little show of ours to more like-minded ears like yours. A big thank you to those who have done so, and a future thank you to those who will. And Keith, when you're not here discussing superhero movies with me, where can folks find you on the interwebs? Um, you know, I took a vacation from the interwebs for a little bit. So I'm hiding. Nobody can find me. That whole witness protection thing is finally blown over. Uh, but you can listen to me on another podcast. The Hour of Comics is Upon Us with John Seymour and Jason Gurin. We'd like to talk about comic books, which I know is completely outside of my wheelhouse and I know nothing about but I still do it anyway. And I, I swear to you listeners, I do this stuff to make Nick spit soda all over everything. And he just did. So y'all are welcome. Um, otherwise, uh, I think we're kind of, we're in between episodes right now. So we haven't recorded anything recently, but we do have some previous issues of our podcast on uh, YouTube. I think Spotify and other major platforms. So definitely give the hour of comics is upon us. a Listen, uh, you can message me on our Facebook page. I'm always ready, willing, and able to talk about comic books, movies, anime, so on and so forth. So have at it, kids. Fantastic stuff indeed. And yes, you never fail to make me chuckle, Keith. And uh, But th the world needs a laugh in these, in these kind of dark and dismal times. So, uh, so I, I always appreciate you for doing that. When it comes to me, you can find me hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play more country music than you can shake a stick at, from Alabama to Zach Brown. For more information about that, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we're reviewing every single Best Picture winner in chronological order. We recently reviewed Everything Everywhere All at Once, had a great time reviewing that, and of course, we reviewed our future plans where we will be, of course, continuing reviewing movies that we have picked, the three of us, and we'll also be... Uh, uh, inviting previous guest co-hosts on to review movies that they enjoyed while we wait for the 96th Best Picture winner. Likely Oppenheimer, but you never know. And last but certainly not least, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone, where we're currently reviewing the latest MCU show, Echo. And uh, actually, uh, this coming Saturday, we will be recording the season finale of that show and series finale, I'm assuming, because it's uh, we're not going to be getting any more Echo, I assume. And speaking of things to come on this show, next time, speaking of RoboCop, we'll be taking on the 1990 Urban Kirstner film, RoboCop 2. So, uh, Keith, you know, we heard Dave's thoughts when it came to the sequel. And he didn't seem particularly uh, excited about it. I know this is not a first watch for you like it is for me, but um, any quick thoughts on this upcoming movie or anything else before we sign off? Well, I, I do have a real quick question. So was everything everywhere all at once, everything everywhere all for you? <laughs> it's It sure was. I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I mean, A24 Studios have been bringing so many interesting films these days to of all sorts. Aside from the Fast and Furious ones, which I, you know, I don't really watch. But other yeah. than that, uh, A24, exactly. A24 did a great job. So, yes, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, in terms of the new, the next RoboCop, 
it, it, it's campy, it's enjoyable. It, it's one of those, if you haven't seen it, you have to at least once just to get out of your system to understand the, the love and or hate of this movie. That's the best way I can explain it. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to this. I'm always a little bit wary when a franchise changes directors after one movie. You know, because obviously we had Paul Verhoeven doing the first one. Here we have Mr. Kirstner doing the second one. So I'm always a little bit wary about that. So I guess we'll see what I make of it. And until then, of course, thank you so much for the privilege of your time, folks. We will see you next week with Robocop 2. As always, stay super. Ciao. I'll be back.